It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along on the 1st of June and of course the 1st of June is the day that's been set aside for the Cork Primary Schools Sports Day today and it's on in MTU. They're underway about now and well, it runs throughout the day until 5 o'clock uh, this afternoon so you can expect heavy traffic uh, right across the day around MTU. So as we say every year when this event happens uh, to please try to avoid the area unless you're going either dropping or collecting children or you're attending uh, the day but good luck to all of the children taking part in the Cork Primary Schools Sports Day uh, today. And a very good morning to each and every one of you. Thank you to John Paul, who uh, stepped in for me yesterday. Marcia had uh, had to go to the dental clinic in St. Finbar's. She had to have a little bit of work done under uh, sedation. So I was up there for uh, with her yesterday. And thanks to the gang in St. Finbar's. They're just, they're a wonderful, wonderful, caring, kind group of ladies. It's all uh, ladies. I'm not being sexist, but us all ladies that I dealt with at the dental department. So thank you for looking after our little one uh, so uh, well. And as I say, thanks to John Paul uh, for sitting in for me uh, throughout the day. And this beautiful weather is continuing. And as we know, it's expected to continue right across this bank holiday weekend. And actually, it's from this weekend that the beach lifeguards will start to raise their red and yellow flags. And that indicates when they're on duty. They'll be on duty from 10.30 in the morning until 7 in the evening evening daily. Now there will be on they'll be on duty on weekends for the month of June and then they kick in full time for July, August and for the first two weeks in September. And Cork County Council's beach lifeguard teams will be at a wide number of beaches. They'll be on duty in Yall, on the Front Strand, also at Clay Castle and in Red Barren. They'll be in Gary Vaux. They'll be in Fountainstown, Inchidani, Onahincha, The Warren, Gary Lucas, Garrettstown, Tregumna and also the Barley Cove uh, beaches. And due to the unavailability of staff, Cork County Council say some locations may not be able to operate at certain times but they will update all the information on the lifeguarded beaches and that becomes available on Cork County Council's Beach Lifeguards 
Facebook page and they update that every day. So if you just want to be doubly sure, particularly if you're bringing your family along and small children and you only want to be at a beach where lifeguards are, just check out the Cork County Council's Beach Lifeguard Facebook page each day just to make sure that there are lifeguards on uh, duty. Cork County Council obviously reminding everyone of the importance of the flag system. It's the red over yellow flag. That's the one that you really are looking out for. That means the lifeguards are on duty. A red flag will indicate that swimming is not advised, so please don't go into the water. And then a black and a white checkered flag that marks uh, the area for surfing only. And people, of course, are asked to swim between the red and yellow flags um, and swim as close and as parallel to the shore as you can. And that's the area that the lifeguards are uh, patrolling and the council reminding members of the public to please respect the water. Please, please, please leave inflatable toys at home and supervise uh, children when they are in the water because we want everyone to go off to have a safe and a wonderful time. And it's always so sad when we hear of drownings and accidents at sea are near the water. And I mean, this morning, the people in County Clare are uh, waking up to that very sad news of a young 19-year-old boy. I heard Barry saying he was close to his 20th uh, birthday and he was involved in a jet skiing accident in uh, the Killaloo um, Ballina um, uh, area I know their search and rescue team were out there. it was just such for that family it's just it's shocking this beautiful weather going on and they are now preparing and facing for a funeral so let's try and keep everybody safe uh, please our lines are open at 0818 103 103 the rate of inflation has eased slightly we always love uh, to see that but of course more price pressure is on the way we've got the hike in excise duty on petrol and diesel that's kicking in for today I was watching yesterday online people queuing up pet- outside petrol stations uh, to fill up. There would be, I'm, I'm open to correction on this and let me know if you do see a garage that puts up their prices. But there should be very few garages putting up their prices today because remember these increases are on the excise duty. So the garages will only pay the increases when they buy in petrol from uh, today. So petrol that's on sale today was you assumed bought at some stage during the week. So there should be, we shouldn't immediately be seeing the increase in the excise duty. Now maybe some garages will say they had to buy in petrol today so they've had to pay the extra. But for the majority, they've known well in advance that the excise duty increase was coming in from today. So you, you would take it that a number of garages will somehow try to stockpile and at least have their tanks filled in advance of uh, today. So while the rate of inflation has eased, food prices, unfortunately, they continue uh, to rocket. We're getting a flash estimate at the moment that's showing that the inflation rate for May, this just has to be fully confirmed, but that's down. It's down, they reckon, to about 5.4 and that's down from 6.3. That was the figure for April. So month on month, for the last number of months, we have seen inflation start to fall and going in the right direction. There are all the figures coming in from the Central Statistics Office. So that's a bit of good news. But it is the food inflation that's catching everyone. Food prices are estimated to have increased 0.4% last uh, m- month. But that's up 12.5% if you look at it year on year. Now, that's despite the fact that a number of the major retail chains reduced the cost of their own brand staples. We know milk went down, bread went down and butter went down in the last few weeks. But still, even though they went down in the last few weeks, in the last month, 
food inflation has increased. Food prices are currently increasing faster than any other goods and uh, services. And as I say, the price squeeze will continue with petrol going up, we'll say over the next few days, six cents a litre. And for diesel, it's going up by five uh, cents. And of course, this is all to do with the temporary reduction of the excise duty that was put in place March of last year. And that's in fairness, was when petrol and diesel prices were way over two uh, euro. So it was the government trying to do something to help with the cost of living. We always knew it was going to be temporary. And rather than put it all back on in one blow, they're easing us into it. So the first increases on excise duty uh, on petrol and diesel from today. The next increase will be on the 1st of September, just as the kiddies go back to school. That'll be seven cent extra on petrol and five on diesel. And then the final one will kick in on the 31st of October, where it'll be eight cent extra on petrol and six cent extra for a diesel. And that'll bring it back up to the 20 cent they took off petrol and the 15 that they took off uh, diesel. Uh, But it is and the government are defending it by saying, look, it is coming at a time when petrol and diesel prices are at their lowest level since September of 2021. But I have to say that hasn't stopped the chairman of the Consumer Association, the wonderful Michael Kilcoyne, who we regularly speak with on uh, the programme. He has continued to urge the finance minister to reconsider the move and especially to reconsider the move to restore the full rates of excise duty on petrol and diesel. And he's still calling on the minister to reconsider it because he said it simply is penalising people. And when the rate is fully restored, when the 20 cent is back on the petrol and the 15 cent is back on the diesel, it will mean an extra 10 euro on a full tank of fuel. And with people struggling, 10 euro, particularly for people who put a full tank of petrol in every week, people who commute to work, uh, for example, that can be a lot of money if you're on a very, very tight budget. Does anyone have help or a possible solution, please, for one of our listeners who's contacted us with this wonderful warm weather that we have at the moment and it is expected to certainly last across this bank holiday weekend and we're keeping our fingers crossed it may be even with us uh, next week. So, hi Patricia, I want to put this out please to your listeners. Can anybody help with the problem of sweaty feet and sandals? I've seen so many beautiful summer sandals this year but I simply cannot buy them as my feet would be sliding all over them and that's just after a few minutes. The only one I've any luck with are the ones that are cork soled are leather but I'd like to get some of the other sandals that are available. Any answers from any of your listeners please because let's say you're not you're not on your own that is a problem. Some people there's sweat glands in their feet for whatever reason and I don't know if there's a medical explanation for it but there has to be some solutions and you're certainly not on your own and you obviously don't in the winter months because you're wearing socks if there is any sweat it's been absorbed into socks but it's when you're trying to wear nice and particularly nice dressy sandals it, it certainly is uh, an issue I feel feel let's put it out there to see anybody else had that has that problem and do you have a solution is there a particular product that you can buy and I'm wondering have you ever spoken to a, a doctor about it is there, is, it, is there a medical reason for it um, I wonder because I know people who have very bad sweat glands under their arms I know for example Botox funny enough Botox injections work for that don't know if they would work on your feet or not but there has to be products uh, available and products that people have tried tested and can say to us yes it works and we can pass the advice on to 
to this uh, listener 0818 103 103 and remember today I will at some stage be playing a Rod Stewart track I have so much choice because Rod Stewart has, has so many great hits I'll play it at some stage today when I do you know what you need to do you need to text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 then one lucky listener will join me on air answer a very simple A or B answered question about Rod uh, Stewart and by doing that you'll go forward to our grand final draw this Friday where one lucky listener will be heading to see Rod Stewart not once but twice live at the Marquis on the 21st of June and then we'll fly you to Marbella on the 21st of July so listen out for a Rod Stewart track. Now I spoke with a Cork mum on the programme who outlined to us how she was battling the system to try to get her 10 year old daughter back to school. Little Leah Ford has been out of school since October of last year because a nurse isn't available to administer her special tube-fed blended diet. Her mum, Michelle, once again joins me with an update. Uh, Good morning to you, Michelle. Morning, Patricia. Uh, You're very welcome to the programme. Now, the headline in the newspaper says Leah is to return to school as a nurse will be provided. But it seems you still have concerns. Outline to us what's been happening. I do have concerns, yeah. I'm not celebrating just yet. Um, now, because Leo was missing from school for so long and we were waiting to get clarification as to who was responsible for providing the nurse, COPE, you know, the, the board um, agreed that maybe they could um, fund a nurse for Leo, right? Mm. So they advertised for the post and they interviewed um, candidates and they identified someone that could be available um, to St. Paul's School in September. Um, but that was just to get the ball rolling, you know what I'm saying? Um, and they can't afford to pay for a nurse to come out of their money every every year. You know, they're a charity and they need money for other projects. Um, and to be honest with you, if COPE did end up paying for one year, you know, the fight's just going to go on to get the money from are, the right body. Are you um, going to be back on this programme and other programmes and talking to the newspaper next year saying this year exactly, has gone yeah. fine and, and now I need a, a, another nurse? OK, at the moment in St. Paul's uh, Special School, how many nurses do they have? They have one, just one. And that, that nurse was um, hired many, many years ago to support two special classes and now there's eight. And there's still only one nurse. Now, they do have 0.3 of a nurse um, also to help with the not-so-profound classes. Um, they share a nurse between three schools in, in COPE. But yeah. And who pays for the full-time nurse that's there? This is where the, the argument... HSE. The HSE. The HSE, so that's where... Yeah. Yeah, that's where we went back straight away um, to... We just assumed that's, the, that's where we get the, the second nurse, you know? But um, that's not the case. We've been pushed from pillar to post. Um, and to be honest, the, the, the loop closes back in on um, the HSC and the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth. Um, and Minister Rabbit, there was an email two days ago that said from Minister Rabbit's office that said that the minister was informed that nursing support would be in place for Leah and other children in September. So she was informed. Informed by who? I don't know. Um, and well, hang on a uh, tick. That's the that's the cope nurse. Is 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 that who Minister Rabbit mm, is talking about? Yeah, like that. 
I suppose what she's saying is that she's been informed that another nurse would be in place for September to support Leah and other kids in the school. And the email also said that um, the minister has been told that COPE has identified a candidate for this position. Now, we know that's true, but yeah. who's paying for it? So, and I so wonder, I still, is, I'm wait- is yeah. the minister aware of who's paying for it? I wonder. But that's what we need to know. And I've asked for clarification on that um, from many people. And I still don't have an answer. They d- they don't have an answer themselves. So you who know, contacted want, yeah. you to say there will be a nurse available for Lee in September? Well, well, I think I think that email that said that Minister Rabbit was informed that nursing support would be in place. That that's the email that pretty much confirmed it to you. That's that, the email. Yeah. yeah, but that's how you found out. Officially yeah. is what I'm talking about. You you, you, might, yeah. you might have been aware what COPE were doing, but officially that's what you got. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, ho- I'm hopeful that they will come through and, and pay for the nurse as they should um, and get Leah back to school in September. And all the other kids coming along behind Leah, you know, Leah's the first person that was refused to go to school because of her medical needs. There's going to be other kids um, joining the school that will be refused to go to school because of their medical needs because the nurses stretch so much. So um, I think, you know, it's not just for Leah. It's mm. for all kids, to be honest. All kids well, if, if this me. nurse gets appointed full time, permanently put in place and let's let's believe that the HSE will uh, fund it. It, it, it from next September. It w- she won't just be exclusively working with Leah because no, Leah no. doesn't need that much support every day. No, no, no. Leah only needs um, a couple of tube feeds a day and the nurse would be available then to um, to go help other kids, you know. Yeah, there'll be a huge benefit to the school. Yeah, it's a, it'll be a huge mm-hmm. benefit uh, to to the school. And how is Leah doing, Michelle? Uh, Leah's doing okay because I just had another baby, so there's lots. Oh, of congratulations! Here. Thanks, <laughs> baby boy. So there's lots of activity going on here between visitors and um, the baby crying. Leah loves listening to crying babies for some reason, <laughs> and um, uh, you know there's a lot of chitter chatter and Leah loves being the centre of kind of all the goss and the news. Yeah. She loves listening to people so she's doing okay but still like she should be in school going on her school tour with, with her class and doing end of year projects you know I didn't get any artwork from her school this year yeah. because she wasn't in school and I keep all of those um, from a memory box and I, di- I didn't get one one piece of artwork from the schools this year from her. Do you think she's um, regressed? I do like, I mean, you know, she can use her right hand a bit when, when I, you know, ask her to, to give me a high five or something. Um, but if she was in school, she'd, she'd be made use that hand a lot more, mm. you know, mm. um, and who knows what she'd do with that hand. And then um, I know that Leah understands pretty much everything I say. So this eye gaze system, a lot of people, kids use this eye gaze system. Yeah. 
Um, but there's a lot of training involved in um, uh, teaching someone how to use that. Yeah. First of all, they have to be identified if they're a candidate to use it. That probably takes time to figure out. And, and then it takes time to train someone to use it. Um, Leah could be a candidate for that. And she could possibly someday even answer one question for me. Yes, no answers. Like, I'd be delighted with that. Um, but that takes hours of teaching, you know, and I don't, I can't do that at home. She needs to do that in school. And it's, you know, a, year so of her, it's a year of her life that she'll never get back. I know. Yeah. And it's a year of her life as well that she's been healthy because before that, before even before COVID, she was on the um, milk diet where she's on fed by the pump with the milk from the chemist. And Leah got sick so many times um, and ended up in ICU because um, she was probably aspirating that milk into her lungs because awful stuff altogether. Um, and she had her scoliosis operation and there was a lot going on. So she did miss a lot of school before COVID and then COVID came along and sure all kids were at home during that time. But Leah was off for two and a half years or even more, I'd say. And then she went back to school and she was healthy because of the blended diet. She gained 30% of her body weight um, on the blended diet. It's just normal food. It's it's normal food that you and I eat. It's just yeah, it, blended. And it, but it's, it's a not gr- special. Yeah. It's I wouldn't agreeing call it a special with her. diet. Yeah, it's agreeing yeah. with her and it's and it is, yeah. yeah, and you've shown and her beneficial. Her, like the reserve that she needs for if she ever does get sick again, you know, she has um meat in her bones to fight whatever infection she has. And she hasn't been in hospital in can't remember the last time she was in hospital and so the fact that she's at home well and not in school is very infuriating to be I honest know, with you. I know that's a credit uh, to you guys though and, and the care and yeah. attention that you're, you're giving her and she and have you said to her oh look Leah, you'll be going back to school in September and did you get any kind of a reaction? Oh yeah I said it to her um, yesterday morning while I was getting her up for um the day I said Leah you're in the front of the paper again today and um, you'll probably be going back to school in September I said you're like a celebrity and she was all smiles uh, yeah and she's a gorgeous she's smile smiles. she really has a gorgeous little she smile does. Uh, bless her heart yeah. and of course she's going she would be entitled to July education wouldn't she she's going to miss out on that yeah. uh. well I'm not sure I, I think she can still get that because they come to your house okay yeah. 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 But so she'll probably still she'll get she'll that. Still but get it's that. not the okay. same. No. It's not the same as being around um, kids. No. You know. No. Okay. And 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 I know you had a special birthday. Was it yesterday? Oh jeez. Yeah. yeah. I was forty. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I do know that. Oh, I'm telling you, you're 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 a busy household, new baby, and everything. And yeah. but and it doesn't stop you fighting. But you know, how are you doing? I mean, all this endless fighting the system. And at the end of the day, Michelle, you just want to be a mother. Yeah, I know. Um, I suppose I'm used to fighting for everything for Leah. And I know people don't um, are sick of hearing stuff like that. But for Leah, even if it's to get a wheelchair, I have to fight and fight and fight. She could be busting out of her wheelchair and it wouldn't be supporting her at all. And I would have to fight and fight and fight to get the wheelchair. Um, And I shouldn't have to do that. So I'm used to um, fighting for everything. You know, it's so wrong for, isn't it? for everything. Yeah. But I'm used to it, I'd say. So 
you know, the fact that um, we're nearly there now, though, with this, I feel, you know, and, you know, there's and, been so much coverage yeah. over it now. And I'm not a public person. I don't do radio or, you know, that's. Well, you're doing you're doing remarkably well and you're a fantastic advocate on behalf of of your daughter. But I also think you're you're going to give comfort to other parents because not everyone is able to do what you're doing and and you shouldn't even have to do it. But unfortunately, we see it time and time again. It's it's the person that shouts the loudest eventually gets heard. But it's it's shocking. It's just it's we're a rich country for all, you know, even though we, you know, we we talk about the housing crisis and I accept all of that. But we are at the end of the day, a rich country and you shouldn't. A nurse um, being appointed should have just been appointed. We're only looking for one nurse. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably, you know, a requirement as well when you think about it, because if there's one nurse and there's a kid having a seizure in one classroom and there's a kid having a seizure in another classroom, How's one nurse meant to split herself in two? Yeah, impossible. Impossible. We you will know. talk again. I have a funny feeling, Michelle. In the meantime, uh, but thank I am you. hopeful. Yeah, well I'd done. Like, I'd like well to done. Say that. Well yeah. done. And listen, uh, keep flying the flag and mind yourself as well because you need Thanks to look after you. yourself. And uh, once again, happy birthday. Congratulations. Thanks. What was the baby boy called? <laughs> David. David. Ah, I've my son's name. Do you know when when my son was born many moons ago, it was I was told it is the most successful businessman's name. So you can tell that to your David. And my David went on to he's gone on to be he runs his own little business quite successfully. I've just thought of that now. There you go. All right, listen, Michelle, (laughs) thanks a million for talking to us. God bless. God bless. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Michelle Ford. Um, mum of wonderful mum of Leah fighting on behalf of her daughter so fingers crossed that little Leah will get back into school in September Now as we continue to enjoy this glorious warm sunny weather more and more people will be heading to our wonderful Cork beaches Now if a trip to the beach is on your agenda over the coming days and you are a smoker a call has gone out to please dispose of smoking litter in the correct manner and to explain why I'm joined by Pranchia Sotuma of Clean Coasts at Ballinamona. Good morning to you, Pranchias. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. During your cleanups, do you find many cigarette butts? Yes. Well, <laughs> plain and simple. Yes, it's yes, it's, it's, it's yes, it's, it's, it's always yes. I suppose ultimately, you know, um, our, we, we have fabulous coastline in Cork. We're very lucky both east and west of the county. Um, and you know, wherever there's a, a car park or a place for people to, to, to rock up. And, you know, um, I suppose it's just the, 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 the misconception that butts biodegrade, they don't. Um, and um, we're picking them up uh, and they need to be picked up. Um, you know, I suppose you see cigarette butts on the, on the ground. They're close to drains. Um, you know, at times of rain, they get washed into the drains. The drains lead to streams, into the rivers and, and ultimately to our coast. So whilst they don't biodegrade, they do break down, but they break down into um, micro and nanoplastics. And I suppose ultimately for anybody listening today who is a smoker or was a smoker, um, one cigarette butt will contaminate 200 litres of water. It's a staggering amount. It is a staggering amount. So let's say we had, um, we, you know, supported by Cork County Council, um, they've given us some funding to do some outreach around Blue Flag Beach education and water quality. And, you know, for instance, we had three fourth class 
classes from Bunskulvera in Yolos on Front Strand, which is a blue flag beach, and about 60 children. And between the 60 kids, they picked up 450 cigarette butts. So um, <laughs> they got competitive about it because it is staggering. So when you, you, you look at, you know, those 450 cigarette butts that were picked up, that's saving 90,000 litres of, ah, of water from, 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 yeah, from and, uh, toxicity. And it's, in, it's, and, um, in, it's interesting when you say, you know, they wash into the drains. I've mm. seen smokers put out their cigarettes in the drains thinking, oh, that's the best thing to do with them. That's, that's the actually, best, yeah. It's yeah, actually the worst yeah, thing that they could be doing. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, um, whether it be cigarette butts and, and, and you know, e-cigarettes, I suppose, you know, bring a, a different kind of a, a, a problem with uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. And, and it isn't, you know, as, as someone who in my youth would have smoked and thank God I gave them up and I don't anymore. And so I, I can certainly see it from, from both sides of the fence. Um, you know, ultimately, if you're thinking of giving them up, do and find that support that will help you give them up. It's the best thing you can do. It's the best present I ever gave to myself was 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 giving them up. Um, you know, the, the best thing to do is is to dispose of them properly in a bin. Um, uh, and and if there's no bin available, is it's not to throw it on the ground and walk away or dig a little hole in the sand and bury it because. You know, it doesn't move the problem away. It, it, it's, 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 you're only blackguarding yourself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you know, I, um, was, I was thinking about this um, yesterday, particularly with the drains, because you do see so many people putting them into the, the drains. My mother, uh, God be good to her, uh, was a smoker for many years. Now, she did manage to, uh, to kick, kick the habit before she died. But she, she used to have a little disposable ashtray in her bag. And if she was ever out now which would be rare that she'd be smoking outside but if ever the occasion came that she needed to have a cigarette outside she had this little cigarettes this little ashtray and she'd put out the cigarette and then when she came home she would empty it and, and clean it out and I don't even know if they're still available so she, I'm just thinking she was so far ahead of her time now that I think about it but do <laughs> do the council do the council she, need she, she was she was in a strange she, she was in a, a strange, strange way, way yeah um. but do the council need to install more bins Four cigarette butts. I mean, is is that a possible solution? It, 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 absolutely, absolutely. The best solution is to give them up. That's always the best. Solution. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, and that would be something. You know, there's there's lots of counsellors out there. There's lots of community groups, and and you know, if that's what you know people need in their area, you know, they need to look for that and lobby for that. I uh, certainly, where our beaches are concerned, there is, um, I suppose, uh, an etiquette of pack it in, pack it out, where what you bring to the beach you bring home with you including your 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 rubbish or any rubbish that you generate um during the day um you know some places will be really good in having bins and other areas you know can do with improvement but of course you know the age-old problem exists where um sometimes you know we we don't use bins like they're bins you know bins are for you know if you're walking and you you, you need to get rid of something that's on you or something you know it's 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 a kind of a funny one you know i've seen people rock up with their cars and they're just about to leave the beach oh well there's a bin there we'll empty out the car of all the contents into i know a, a, a i know bin. and yeah. that's not the right way to treat yeah. bins either or or when bins get full um instead of holding on to it till you find the next bin people will place it next to the bin and rubbish attracts rubbish you know, um, so that's that's kind of a it, it's a funny one. Um, bins can be contentious, both 
you know, with community groups, with with uh, councils, with where where you know on a main street where there's a bin outside someone's business or outside someone's house, and it's been abused and 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 uh, you know mistreated, so so to speak. I was recently in Tremor in County Waterford, and I was sitting on the promenade, and they had. Uh, literally, you couldn't walk very far without mm-hmm. coming across huge bins, almost like wheelie bins. And mm-hmm. I looked, the place was spotless because mm-hmm. they were making it easy for people to dispose of their rubbish. Mm-hmm. Do Cork County Council, yeah. uh, I know we've got much more beaches, is probably the answer Cork County Council will say, than they have in Waterford. But we need to make it as easy as possible for people, unfortunately. Um, absolutely. I mean, there there is to that. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of Cork County Council or anything like that. I suppose ultimately where I am coming from would be where we lead out volunteers, where we're going out with businesses doing beach cleanups and the kind of types of litter that we, we encounter. Um, I suppose ultimately I don't think bins are a fix-all solution from a personal point of view uh, because I think they do attract other issues with them. Um, yes, it, you know, if we have more bins there, it'll fix the problem of where people can discard of the rubbish. But then there's the other antisocial and other problems that bins bring. So they're they're not a fix-all solution, and there is no perfect solution. Um, I suppose, well, you know, if if people can bring their rubbish home or should bring their rubbish home, that's that's it's personal the best responsibility. You know, yeah, it's personal. Okay, absolutely, you touched on to to the you touched on the disposable e-cigarettes, e- the vapes, and we certainly have had calls in. I'd say probably in the last year, there's been an increase in calls from tidy towns groups saying when they're out doing their litter picking, they're coming yeah. across a lot of these uh, disposable vapes that when they're finished, people just uh, discarding them. This, and I'm assuming you've the same problem uh, when you're doing your litter picks. Yeah, I read something really interesting this morning. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how factual it is, right? And I suppose you're, you're just taking, a, I suppose, a piece of information in good faith where, you know, and it's going with a UK figure, where there was 168 million vapes sold in the UK last year and 50% of that is going to landfill. And I think the thing about vapes is that they contain lithium-ion batteries. Um, and when you when you put the equivalence of what that means, it's like the equivalent of 6,200 Tesla Model 3 cars thrown away last year in, in the shape of the, 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 the batteries and in, in the disposable vapes, which is a stunning, a staggering figure, um, um, you know, um, as from a, a, you know, to be using this valuable, finite um, commodity in in a disposable way, you know, and the, um, so it's very hard. They can't be recycled, as far as I know. There's very little of them can be recycled. Um, the recycling of them, yes, they're complicated to recycling, and they they need to be broken down into their their constituent parts, yeah. so to speak. And that there might be about five or six parts to the actual thing to to recycle it um, as a single use item. You know, it's kind of contrary to the the, the single use um, uh, EU bills that we've we've seen come out in recent years with forks and and you know plastic cutlery and and stuff like that. Um, so ultimately, I'd like to see our legislators. I mean, ultimately, legislation that is too big for for you and I. Uh, you know, in the ten minutes that we'll have here, or five minutes, whatever it is, on the radio to try and fix. Ultimately, our our legislators need to you know to to stand up. Uh, uh, to the plate here and actually be counted and actually put forward the measures that will actually fix that. Yeah. Um, and, and there's only one way that I would see that going. And that's a ban. Ah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's, 
it, it, it's, it's not the, the anti-fun brigade or, or it's not to stop anybody from indulging in something that they want to indulge in. It's, it's ultimately that, you know, there, there needs to be, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the future generations to come and they look back at history as, as to what we've done and what we've, you know, how we have accounted and what our legacy is going to be, um, you know, we, we will have questions to ask. And you know, future generations saying, "What were they? Oh, what were they thinking of? What were they thinking Absolutely. of?" Any beach cleans Absolutely. coming up this weekend, or are you giving it a break yeah, for the bank? We're doing, oh. Yeah, we're doing one with some uh, uh, company uh, CSR day in the next couple of days. We're doing Great. that, and um, we've just uh, on the sixteenth of June, we're heading to West Cork uh, to Barley Cove with uh, four primary schools down there. We've just finished up with doing pre- twelve primary schools uh, on East Cork beaches. Uh, and one of the interesting finds, and when we talk about a legacy item, we were on Red Barn and one of the kids there found a glass bottle. And the glass bottle, um, uh, we can date to between uh, 1880 and 1900. So it was at least 123 years old or there. when that child found it. It's a staggering. So again, it's kind of the legacy thing. I mean, we can still recycle that glass bottle, whereas, you know, when we look at some of the stuff that we'll find, you know, or you know, what will they find in 120 to 140 years time after us? You know, it's, it's going to be frightening why we why we haven't learned or copped on to ourselves a little bit better. And it's great to see the kids are getting involved because they really are the future. Listen, Do you know what? We, the schools and, and the primary schools have are there just a credit to themselves, their teachers, their parents, their families. Them, oh, they've been absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Just before we go, um, there's the anti-litter challenge, which is happening all over Cork County at the moment. Um, there's lots of community groups, lots of towns and villages, north, south, east, Cork uh, and west. Um, so if, like from Cargilline, Mill Street, Dunmanway, Yall, Castletown Bear, Carrick Passage, Skibbereen, all the way down Mitchellstown. Um, you know what they're finding. So they're sending out counters at the moment. So it's going on for particular weeks and they're actually counting the litter. So I, I suppose looking at the results of one town in particular, um, they found um, uh, 261 cigarette butts in, in 10 areas. So what I would be asking businesses and homeowners to do in these towns and villages, um, if they can, um, that two minutes twice a day to, to just to check your, your, your own shop, your front, outside the front of your, your shop. Your own area, yeah. Like that. Absolutely. Two minutes twice a day. If you see something on the pathway, pick it up, dispose of it properly, not sweep it off the path onto the road. Yeah. <laughs> which I have seen and and, the and then into but the drain. Really, absolutely. I mean, we've we've got lots of tourists coming. It'll help bring tourists to our towns and villages, and and and, and stimulate that that uh, you know the the economic um, uh, uh, transactions that we need to keep our, our our towns and shops and local shops going. So, yeah, two minutes twice a day, anybody can do that. And, and I would encourage everybody to get involved to help those tidy towns, groups, community councils, everybody. OK, and very finally, your good news in East Cork, uh, which you know very well, you got a number of blue flags this year. We did. We did. We uh, regained uh, the three flags and the four green flags on, on the, I suppose, the paths that we'd be or on the, the beaches that we'd be looking after. So Inch, Arden Hinch, Balnamona and uh, Greenland Strand or Ring. Um, 
uh, and then the uh, front strand, uh, Clay Castle and Red Barn also got their blue flags back. So it's fabulous, fabulous, you know, great, I suppose a great collaboration between Clean Coast uh, group like ourselves and the council and also in West Cork as well. You know, they did really well down there too. Okay, and you you guys do incredible work. So to, and there will be a lot of people heading to the beach for the bank holiday weekend because the weather is playing ball, uh, thank God. But your message is bring, you know, leave nothing behind. Leave nothing behind and, of course, put on some sun cream. OK, all right. Good <laughs> advice. Prunchies, enjoy your weekend and thank you for joining us and on the programme. Good so morning much. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Prunchies Utuma who joins us from Clean Coasts, uh, Ballinamona. 0818 103 103. And th- since we were talking about, we touched on vaping there with uh, Prunchies. I've just seen uh, a text in from uh, a listener to, where is it gone? Um... This is from John in Blackpool. Say hi, Patricia. Uh, a friend of mine is in a city hospital at the moment. She is recovering from an operation. She is smoking her vape in the ward. She thinks it's OK. What do you think? I would be very surprised that uh, that a hospital is allowing somebody to smoke on the ward. I'm assuming she's doing it without anybody realising she's uh, doing it. But most uh, buildings, when they say smoke free, uh, that includes uh, vaping. A thank you in from a listener isn't a name on this but says hi Patricia I'd like to say thank you to the lad who fixed the water tap in St Mary's Cemetery in Mill Street last night all I know is that his first name was Declan I don't have a second name so well done to uh, Declan and the sister also wants to point out that Mass is actually on tomorrow evening Friday night half past seven in St Mary's Cemetery in Mill Street well well done to Declan who fixed the tap because uh, people who regularly visit the cemetery visiting loved ones particularly if they want to put down uh, fresh flowers you know it's always great when there's a tap there so they can top up the water in the fresh, fresh flowers if they want to clean down the headstone or whatever so well done to Declan as I say don't have a surname uh, for him and staying on the thank yous I was speaking with the wonderful Punchia Sotuma who does fantastic work in keeping our clothes coasts clean and in educating young people and I love to see the young people going out and doing the litter pick even though some will say isn't it a shame that we have to send children out to pick up the rubbish that was left behind predominantly by adults but by educating our young people they're the future and you would hope that if they go visit a beach with their family they will make sure that they leave no litter behind and they're the future generation that we're trying to look after this planet for. Anyway, Dennis McCarthy says, Patricia, just a message to say well done to Pranchia Sotuma on the great work that he does with Clean Coasts. He really is a great guy. We here in Ballymacoda, Ladiesbridge Community Council work in conjunction with Pranchias uh, many times and he really is a great guy. Best regards and that's from Dennis McCarthy. Thank you, Dennis, for taking the time out for that. Someone else says maybe if the council could put more cigarette bins along the beach. There might not be as many butts around. And just because Pontius, your guest, doesn't smoke, uh, he doesn't want anybody else to. I don't smoke myself, but a cigarette can be very comforting for others. He listened. Pontius admitted himself that he once smoked and he found it hard to give it up, but he did uh, give it up. But he's, you know, he's saying to people, if you can't give it up, then be responsible with where you put your cigarette butts. And it isn't just people putting out their cigarettes on the beach that Pontius was talking about. He was talking about cigarette butts ending up in drains, then they go into the streams, into the rivers and ultimately 
end up in the seas. And the you know the stats and the figures he had about how one cigarette butt can contaminate 200 litres of water. I mean, it's just truly shocking. Something has to be done uh, about it. Hi, Patricia, listening to your conversation on cigarettes. Can people not just cop on and take their rubbish home with them, especially when they're visiting the beach, the, our beautiful beaches? This ain't rocket science, says this uh, listener. And someone else says, I saw a man pick up the dog poo, you know, doing his being responsible pet ownership from the footpath. And then this listener said, I watched him. He picked it up and then he threw it out onto the road. What is the point? You know, the whole idea is that if you're cleaning up after your dog, you need to either dispose of it in the bins that are around. And if there isn't a bin around, then what you need to do is bring it home with you. And it wasn't the nicest thing to be going around with a little bit bag of dog poo with you. But at the end of the day, it's your dog and you are responsible for that dog. 0818103103. When I mentioned at the start of the programme, uh, the inflation costs and food costs in particular are going up and of course petrol and diesel excise duty goes up as and from today. Heidi says Patricia this government is really not working for its people. It just seems to want to take more money from us at every single opportunity. It's tax, tax, tax on everything and now they've decided to reintroduce the excise duty that they took away from uh, a fuel. You you know the saying, you only get what you deserve. But I ask, do we deserve this current government? We seem to give these people power and then it goes to their heads. They need to remember we all come into this world and go out the same way. So Heidi putting all the blame onto the government. Thank you for that. Heidi by text to 0862 103 103. Now talking of text, I got this text into the programme. It was the back end of last week. Now I deliberately didn't call out the text because it was a text to do with Meals on Wheels and I wanted to get on to the group who are organising the Meals on Wheels just to find out what was going on before I would actually deal with the text on air because I am really, really slow to criticise any volunteer group but in particular groups like the many fantastic Meals on Wheels organisations that we have dotted right across uh, this county. These are people and many of them have been volunteering for many, many years and elderly people who rely on that knock on the door uh, every day for the hot meal to arrive literally would be going hungry if it wasn't for the services of the Meals on Wheels. As I say, I'm always slow to be critical of them in any way. So Jim from Bantry had contacted us, as I say, it was the uh, back end of the earlier part of last week. And actually, John Paul was off. It was Bernie was producing. So Jim had contacted us uh, to say if we could inquire about the Meals on Wheels service in Bantry, because he was speaking on behalf of his elderly neighbour, who receives Meals on Wheels every day from the group in Bantry. But it seems in recent weeks they have moved to using what Jim says is shop-bought ready meals. And this elderly neighbour of Jim's was telling Jim that uh, she was finding it hard to eat and she missed out. She missed the home-cooked meal. And could we find out if Bantry Meals on Wheels were planning on returning to the home cooked styles, t- style meal that they were once providing. So we got on to Bantry Meals on Wheels uh, to say to them what we'd received from Jim and could they update us please. So thank you to Joe Cronin who was Secretary of the Bantry Care for the Aged uh, Association and they are the group that operate Meals on Wheels. Now, um, Joe in his email says that 
as I expect it, they are a fully volunteer led and fully run organisation. And Joe says, we found ourselves in a situation whereby we had no choice only to outsource our meals for our clients of the Meals on Wheels service. The Meals on Wheels have been run by our organisation for more than 50 years. Imagine how many hot dinners they've provided in 50 uh, years. And thus, we didn't want the service to end. Our board members have delivered the meals directly to the participants over the past four weeks. And we've had no such issue reported to us as posed in the question that you received. And as it is board members delivering the meals, we have direct feedback from the recipients and we're getting excellent feedback from members of the service. I myself have met directly with recipients of Meals on Wheels and no negative response to meals provided. Some recipients have actually said they prefer these new meals. We're currently considering our options for the future with regard to our Meals on Wheels service. So thank you uh, to Joe for that and continue to keep doing the great work you are doing. And all I can say to Jim, who as I say, spoke to me on behalf of his elderly neighbour, is for your elderly neighbour to talk to the people who are delivering the meals on wheels they're open to listen listening uh, to her and maybe there's something that they can do to adapt the particular meals for her that will make it easier for her to eat and I don't exactly know what the problem is but when they're not hearing from any of the other clients and all of the other clients are very happy to the point of some saying that they prefer these the ready-made shop it's their shop bought and I'm assuming that they're buying them locally rather than somebody hand, hand cooking uh, the meals and can I just wish continue good luck not just to Bantry Meals on Wheels but to all of the other Meals on Wheels to me they are the real unsung heroes of our communities and what they do day in day out 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls C103 Jobs General Operative is wanted in the Newmarket area. Now, it's for cleaning, it's for power washing and it's for painting. You need to be over 25, you need to have your own transport and you also need to have a full driver's licence, 087-7566524. Job vacancies on a North Cork building site. Now, there are full and part-time positions available. Call 086-8786607. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow are currently looking to recruit a full-time kitchen assistant and a commie chef. Email Greg and the email address is xexexchef at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And Arctic drivers want it all for immediate starts. You must have valid CPC, TACO and C licence. Call 087-229-1193. You'll find all the details of the jobs I've just announced and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, an article um, earlier in the week in the Irish Independent caught my attention because it outlined the plight of an Afghan interpreter called Rocky, who is currently living in hiding from the Taliban and he's trying to get to Ireland. And to explain the story further, I'm joined by Ralph Regal, the journalist for the Irish Independent who wrote the piece. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. Now, how did you first become aware of Rocky and his plight? 
Yeah, I tell you, I became aware of his plight through a, a wonderful guy called Phil Nannery. Now, Phil is is he's American. He's from Virginia, um, but he has very strong Irish ancestry. I think it's originally from up around the Roscommon area, and he had spent a lot of his childhood in Ireland. But Phil had joined the the National Guard in the States, would be like the Army Reserve here. And because he was in the, 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 the U.S. National Guard, he ended up being sent to Iraq. I think it was in 2009. And then he was in Afghanistan around 2011, 2012. And he knew Rocky because Rocky was actually attached to his unit when he was serving in uh, Afghanistan. And they were in some of the toughest um, parts of Afghanistan. Some of the, the, the fire, what they would call fire bases where there would have been a lot of um, attacks by the Taliban. And Rocky would have served side by side with Phil and a lot of the other American and allied soldiers. And what was interesting about him is now, obviously, Rocky is not his real name. Uh, Rocky is a nickname that was given to um, this Afghan man because he loved Western culture. He loved music. He loved films. He loved whatever. And he got on really, really well with all of the allied soldiers and had gone out of his way to help protect them when he was there. And I suppose only people that have served um, under fire together would have this, you know, I suppose the, the famous band of brothers, this loyalty that if someone has saved your life and if someone has worked to protect you, that there's an onus on you to do the same. So Phil, when he had returned to the States, and I should add, by the way, he now lives in Ireland. Phil had, had moved to Ireland a number of years ago and he's married and has a child living here in Cork. And But he had kept in contact with Rocky and he was appalled when the whole, I mean, the Taliban launched the, the assault on Kabul and the, the, the allied back in Afghan army collapsed um, after the US and other countries had taken out their military support. And he was appalled to see that, that people that had put their faith and trust in um, the West were effectively being abandoned. They were being left to their own devices. And he has done everything he can, oftentimes as like a lone voice in the wilderness, trying to plead for, for, for fairness and for decency and for honour for Rocky and a lot of these other Afghan interpreters. And, you know, there's, it's a debate that has started in Ireland about, you know, what onus do we have? And, you know, is Ireland full and should we be taking so many refugees or whatever? And the point I would make is that I think we're better than that. I think that we have very short memories. If we forget how many countries took our um, needed, our needy, our poor in over the years, um, if you go back, I mean, the population in the famine was eight million and um, we're just over five million now. So I think that that pretty much puts the lie to any suggestion that we don't have capacity. We don't have um, room in Ireland to show decency to people that are in fear of their life. And I mean, to put in context what this man, this man has for 18 to 20 months been living in hiding. He's in a country where if he's discovered or if he's betrayed to the Taliban, he will disappear. And this be is because he worked with the Allies be as as an interpreter and would have played a vital role in trying to rebuild Afghanistan. Absolutely, because he would in in the eyes of the Taliban, he represents everything that they detest Um, someone that would have worked for a democratic um, Afghanistan, someone that would have worked for, say, for, I mean, equality towards women, that he would be educated, that he would have served and, and liked Western culture, which is very much anathema to um, a lot of the leaders of the Taliban. 
And I mean, for 20 months, this man has been living in hiding. He had to hide from his family because his family were being watched. Um, so the Taliban secret police were, were basically trying to catch him. Now, there was another um, interpreter called Don who would have also served with Phil and a lot of other the, the Western soldiers. And he vanished. And they are hoping that he's alive. But the fear is that he was betrayed to the secret police um, in Afghanistan and executed. Now, I've actually been in contact with Rocky. Um, I got a lovely message from him, actually. I mean, we ran the article in The Independent on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday of this week. And believe it or not, and Phil had managed to take a screenshot of the article and get it to Rocky in <laughs> Afghanistan. And he sent me the most lovely message to say how much he appreciated all that was being done for him, that he is in fear of his life, but that what keeps him going on a daily basis is doing that there are people out there trying to help him and that he doesn't feel alone. And what he's now facing doing is he is facing into a five to 6,000 kilometer trek where he's going to have to try and hike out of Afghanistan um, across all of the countries, as some countries like Syria, Turkey, to try and get to the Mediterranean and then try and somehow get himself on a boat and get to the EU in the hope that countries like Ireland and, of course, the government have said that in cases of, say, women's groups, interpreters. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. People that through their religion or, or sexuality would be under threat from the Taliban, that Ireland will provide a safe haven for these people. And that's what Rocky, that, that's the links that he's willing to go to to try and save his own life, to try and get to Ireland, and ideally to try and get his family here. But again, just him getting here, I'd say, is going to be a big ask, let alone get his family here. And, you know, having you having spoken with Phil, who knows this man so, so well, he strikes me as somebody that would be a great asset to any community that he would come and live in, Ralph. Oh, I think so. And I mean, that's basically, I mean, some of the message that I've gotten from, from Rocky over the last couple of months is that, um, he has this lovely Amer- way of he, bro is what he, he refers to you as. And he says, look, bro, if I come to your country, I will spend the rest of my life working to pay you back. If I come here, I'll be an asset. I, I You know, you're saving a life, but you're saving a good life. And, you know, he very well educated man was fascinated by Western culture, which is, of course, where he got his, his nickname Rocky, Rocky yeah, from the yeah. various people that he had served beside. And the sad part of all of this is, I mean, it shades anyone who knows their history. Like if you look at what happened in Vietnam, so many of the people in Vietnam that had um, that had, you know, supported um, American forces or had worked with, with with Western groups ended up being abandoned. And that was has certainly happened to large numbers of people in Afghanistan, women's groups, women's leaders, um, those involved in, in, in gender equality and um, people from religious minorities and particularly interpreters because interpreters were seen as the people that were of greatest um, 
support and benefit to the allied forces in Afghanistan. And Phil has done, he has been on to the American authorities, he has been on to the Irish authorities. In a lot of cases, and it's sad to say this, that letters that he has written have been ignored here. No one has bothered to reply to him. And himself and a lot of the other soldiers that would have served alongside Rocky in Afghanistan have been sending him money every month in a bid to try and keep him going because he can't work. His family are unable to get money to him for fear that he'll be tracked down and identified. And they've done everything they can to try and get him to safety. If it's not in Ireland, in some other country where at least he won't be in fear of his life. But Phil said to me during the weekend, it's really, really sad to say this. He said, you know, he said, for 18 months, I've been trying to help Rocky, 18, 20 months. He said, it's like watching a murder in slow motion. Oh, my God. It's dreadful. It's just such a dreadful, dreadful story. And obviously he's away. He can't be with his family and his family are at risk. So the plan would be if Rocky could get out and get to safety, then to try and bring the family to join him. That would be the ultimate goal, would it? Yes, very much so, that basically he's the one that the Taliban are hunting so that if he gets here, in in many cases, the Taliban don't have a difficulty getting family or allowing family members to leave. But the the difficulty for Rocky is that he has to get out of the country um, undetected because if he's found by the Taliban or the Taliban secret police, like dozens and dozens of other um, Afghans, those who would have been in Afghan special forces, those who would have been involved in the Afghan judiciary, the police force and particularly interpreters, they vanish without trace. Well, OK, listen, uh, keep us updated on this. And when you're next messaging uh, Rocky, tell him there's a lot of people uh, wishing him well and, and I hope he does uh, get here and get here uh, safely or get to some country of uh, safety. And well done to you, by the way, for highlighting uh, the story, Ralph. Listen, thank you for that. Now, are you enjoying the sunshine? The, the best I can, Patricia. It's been a busy week, but I'm hoping to have a couple of hours off now the weekend to enjoy a few of the rays. Great stuff. Great stuff. Listen, pleasure as always, Ralph. Thank you for that. Thanks, William. Thanks for joining us. That okay. is uh, the wonderful Ralph Regal from the Irish Independent. Now, two brothers from the Timaleague Kilbritton area have just produced and directed their first TV documentary for TG Cahar. And it airs tonight at half past nine and then thereafter will be available on the TG Cahar player. Jack Desmond of Desmond Brothers Media Limited uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jack. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks you, for having me on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Cliha Osbalia, the away game. It took you across Europe in search of GAA uh, clubs. And I'm intrigued by this. Are there many GAA clubs dotted around Europe? Yes, um, that's right. There's actually um, a ton of GAA clubs in Europe, the Gaelic Games Europe. There's, I think, four different sections. It's in most countries that you can think of. And what we were focusing on were um, specifically two clubs in Germany and two clubs in Spain. Um, But there is so many different clubs and they're all um, playing different sports. Um, It's actually funny. Most northern countries kind of tend to focus on hurling and a lot of the southern countries, they prefer uh, football. Um, But yeah, so we we did hurling in, in Germany, in Hamburg and Cologne, and we saw some football in Madrid and then followed them to the pan-European um, football championship, which was hosted by an entirely Galician team in Acruña. It's incredible. And were you surprised at how many GAA clubs there are across Europe? Well, it's funny. Um, the, the whole idea for the show came from my brother, Kian when he was living abroad in, in Hamburg. He was working in a normal multinational company. And one day his colleague came in, who was from South Africa, and he was like, Kian said, what are you doing for the weekend? And he said, I'm off to play some 
Gaelic football. And this this kind of dropped <laughs> Keen's jaw to the floor. He was like, what? The South African fellow is off to go play some football. And so Keen went along. You know, to be honest, we were never very serious about GEA at home. But it's something about being abroad that kind of really kind of compels you to, to, to find out other Irish people or even in Kean's case, to follow a South African guy. And that's where it was. So so it is, it, in, in one sense, it is a surprise, but it also makes sense that when you have Irish people living abroad, they're going to want to um, celebrate their own culture. What I found interesting, Patricia, was how many kind of um, people who aren't from an Irish background, how they're so interested and they're so passionate about about the game. Like um, in in, let's say, for example, in Hamburg, all the women, or except for one on the on the senior team, they're actually all from Germany or from other countries. You see, I find that incredible as well. I mean, I can understand why the expats go, and yeah. I, I absolutely understand that. And actually, I was only teeing up the fact that you were joining me on the program uh, this morning, and our breakfast show presenter, his son, has recently emigrated to Australia and one of the first things he did was find out where was the local GAA club and signed up so I'm that so it doesn't surprise me that but what surprised me was when you were saying people with no Irish connection it wasn't even that yeah. their parents were were Irish and they just developed a love of what is a beautiful game that's exactly it they I think it's it's people maybe from even if they're a stranger themselves to the city so for example in Hamburg there's a lady from Kazakhstan and she came to the city or there's a man from Estonia and they're looking out for for friends they're looking out for something to do and it's different and that's the thing Patricia is that even people passing on the street that's how they get a lot of members like uh, they, they practice in a large public pa- park in Hamburg and even as we were filming there was people coming up to us all the time being like uh, excuse me um what's this sport playing here it's just they, you know they had all kinds of things they were like is this lacrosse is this cricket yeah you know, they didn't know what was going on with the hurling. And there's a scene in, in the in the documentary um, about, and, and it, there's a Colombian man who, who stops speaking only German. And one of the members, um, a guy living in Dusseldorf, he's originally from uh, Budavent, and he speaks he speaks fluent German. And they were just having a conversation. And I was like, Ian, get, get the microphone over here. And they he, he, he showed him how to hit around the ball and, on, the, on the hurley, basically. And so I thought that was... That's great. Brilliant. It really scene. is great. Yeah. And of course, the the, clo- the these GAA clubs are a great way for Irish people to stay in contact with other Irish people. That's right. Yeah, and it's sometimes you know you're you're feeling like okay, I want to meet people from other countries, but at the end of the day, sometimes you need something a bit familiar. So in Madrid, for example. Um, we were with them for a week and it was quite a large Irish community there. And so it was a large team and very good players, a lot of maybe senior players who were abroad on Erasmus. Uh, but some people who are living in Madrid for a long time and it's it's a really important connection for them. And they do other things as well, like they, they, the captain of the team from Mayo, he, he, he organizes some Irish language, you know, kind dog is Cora and, and there's music as well and history. Um, so it's an important social outlet, I think. Yeah, it's, it, it really is great. You mentioned that you met you met that guy from Baltimore. Did you meet many people with Cork connections, Jack? Yeah, there was a good few, actually. Um, generally, most of them seem to be in, in Germany. There was, um, of course, the chairperson of Cologne team, 
in one of the teams that we were following, the Cologne Celtics, uh, Oshino Mani. He's originally from the Cork City area uh, with Timothy connection as well, actually. Again, Patricia, very odd situation to be in. We were over there having a chat with him. He's like, I think I know your father. And <laughs> that's just a small connection there. That's such an no matter Irish where you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, and did he know your father? No, he, he did indeed. He, did. he knew my grandfather. <laughs> he knew them all. And so, you and, and, and you, yeah. obviously uh, you you must have bumped into somebody from Kilkenny with a hurling, a passion for hurling. We did actually. The um, Kilkenny, uh, there was a Kilkenny man who um, we had known from West Cork because he, uh, Jack McCarran, he was a journalist with the Southern Star at the time, and he was living abroad. He was actually working remotely, and he he was very passionate about the hurley hurley game, and so. He was playing with Cologne because Cologne, Dusseldorf and, and Bonn, uh, Bonn, if if you know it, they all kind of very close cities together mm. and they kind of join up for, let's say, Dusseldorf, they're more into football, Cologne's are more into hurling. So they kind of loan players to each other. And that was Jack McCarran. He was excellent hurler um, out there. And you mentioned, you know, the the pan-European competition. Do I take it that it gets as competitive as it does here at home? Um, from from what I saw there um, is that there was obviously different levels. There was seniors, there was juniors and others. I think it was the younger the team, I think the more competitive it was. And maybe it was the more Irish people on the team, the more competitive it was. Um, so the, in the end, the, the, the ladies and the men's, the ladies um, had Warsaw and the men's also had Warsaw in the finals and the men had Madrid in the finals, they were, you know, predominantly Irish, but even at the other levels, there was a French team from Nantes. They were passionate. You could, you could hear the, I don't speak much French, but you could hear the effing and blinding on the pitch <laughs> when they were playing their football and they were very serious. But um, actually the, the, in Galicia, which is in Northern Spain, they speak a different language to the rest of Spain. And they actually have a kind of a Celtic connection going back a couple of thousand years. And so they feel very close to Ireland, actually. And that's the reason why they have a, a football league there, um, Patricia, with, I think, about 20 clubs. And there's only there's only one Irishman on, on the, in the entire league of, of maybe 800 players. And, and Galicia, isn't that where the Camino, the Camino walk is? That's where the Camino is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the Santiago kind of area. And there's clubs in towns dotted all up along the coastline. It'd be interesting all for people who do the Galicia. Camino walk might suddenly stumble across a hurling match or a yeah, Gaelic, that's right, Gaelic yeah. football match. And I have yeah. to say, I saw uh, some of your clips from uh, promoing the show uh, tonight. You have the wonderful Sheila Shoiga and I, I love listening. I unfortunately don't speak uh, Irish, uh, but I love to hear Sheila Shoiga speak Irish. She's just got a gorgeous lilt about her. How did That's you get right, Sheila yeah. on board? Yeah, um, we were looking around for a kind of a, uh, a narrator. And to be honest, I think Sheila Shoiga popped into her head first. And we were like, we'll, we'll, we'll chance it because this is our t- our first TV show. And we were like, there's nothing to lose if we send an email, you know. And she was interested. She was available. So we actually recorded the voiceover up in, up in, um, Connemara in a studio there um, with her and she was absolutely lovely and 
I agree 100%. She has an amazing voice. So it's, you know, we're really lucky to have her um, for the documentary. And for those like me who can't, uh, unfortunately, uh, speak Irish fluently, it will be subtitled. Uh, That's the one thing thing is brilliant about about, uh, Chichi Cahar. By the way, Jack, when you were speaking with the the expats that you came in contact with, do any of them speak about coming home or, or are they all now well established and happy in their new countries? I think that a lot of them were very happy and content where they were. I think there's different reasons for that. Let's say in Spain, it's, it's the weather and the culture. I think in Germany, again, it's, it's the culture, not so much the weather, but they, they, they find that, yeah, I think a lot of them are very happy where they are. And I think that it's, it's probable, probable that the club is a big part of that, that yeah. they feel, you know, that they have a family away from, away from home that, they can rely on, you know, if they need to. It's certainly keeping their Irish uh, roots alive. So the programme yeah, airs tonight yeah. at, I'm right, it's half past nine, isn't it, on, on TG Cahar? Half past nine tonight. It's it's an hour long. And if anyone uh, misses it, I th- or if they have family abroad who are doing GEA themselves, um, it's going to be on the player and it's, going to be available to view abroad. Okay, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching the entire uh, programme tonight. Uh, Jack, well done. As you say, it is your first uh, TV documentary. What else are you and your brother Keen involved in at the moment? So um, we have a, a, our own small company and we do um, some, some commercial work and we, a lot of kind of documentary commercial work and we're developing um, some scripts for the future and we're always developing new um, shows as well. So we're hoping to start a new work soon. Well done. Tough industry. Yeah, I mean, it's tough enough, uh, especially coming at, we we came out of college just before the pandemic. Ah. So it was um, a a few quiet years, uh, Patricia, even more than normally beginning. Um, But I think it's tough. But I think if you stick at it, um, you know, you find your way. Yeah, well, I think this is a fantastic and you've got a winning concept uh, with this documentary. So we wish you well with it, um, uh, Jack. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks uh, for speaking with me today. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Jack Desmond, who, along with his brother Keen, put uh, made that uh, documentary on TG Carr tonight at half past nine. Aoife in Bantry says, Patricia, would you ever take time today to wish Evelyn Cusack the very best? Aoife says, what a what perfect weather for Evelyn Cusack to bow out. She will be uh, missed. And Evelyn Cusack, who has been the face of Irish weather since the early 1980s, she is retiring today after 42 two years of service uh, with uh, Metair and she seemingly tidied up her office desk yesterday at the Met Office headquarters in uh, Glasnevin for the last time yesterday evening but today is officially her last day but when she was starting to reflect on the last uh, 40 years she's just saying that you know the world of her work in meteorology has been transformed since she started back in 1981 she said we they did so much by hand and she started to explain that they used to shade the charts with coloured pencils because there wasn't any uh, internet and they had very little technology she said back in the early days she said I'm not even sure how good we were at forecasting we did the best that we could and so much has changed since since then, after joining Metair, and it was about six years then before she started working with um, RTE, she says she's glad that there wasn't social media back then because she said we really didn't have a clue what we were doing. And she said we certainly didn't have any training, but we did uh, survive. And given her high 
visible role role now on TV for more than uh, 30 years. Not to mention we the Irish people are obsession with the weather. Evelyn Cusack quickly became one of the most widely recognised faces in the country. She said that it was the worst of both worlds. She's constantly getting recognised no matter where she went and people always shout, what's the weather like Evelyn at it? And, and blaming her if it rained when the sun should have been uh, shining. So she said she'd all of the recognition but she didn't have much of the money. It was a highly paid job, but she's loved every bit of it. And she said it was a real honour. And uh, Conor Pope in the Irish Times today was asking her to talk about what were her highlights over the years. And she didn't have to go back that far. She says they may, her main highlights were 2017 to 2018. So that that 12, 18 month uh, period and she said it is a, a, it's a time she said that she remembers or perhaps she'll never be able to forget because in that period of time we had Hurricane Ophelia and of course that was very quickly followed by the beast from the east and then she said the summer came and guess what happened in the summer? We had the drought and then after the drought we moved into the period where the National Ploughing Championships were about to be held and she said we had to warn the organisers and those going to the National Ploughing Championship that there was a hell of a storm coming and she said we had no option but we had to tell them to shut it down she said the winds really picked up and the place was almost uh, flattened and until her very last days with Met Aaron, Evelyn Cusack was pushing new things for the forecasters website and phone app and she describes that as being her baby, she was really instrumental in getting that off the ground and actually there's a new uh, element that has been added only today which is offering 10 day forecasts for Irish mountain ranges and uh, beaches and that's going to be kind of the final thing that she does with Met Aaron her thoughts for the future. She's looking forward to visiting the Galapagos Islands early next year although she admits she's already feeling a bit guilty because obviously the amount of flights that's involved and she's worried about what her carbon emissions will be on the trip and she ended by saying the climate change uh, was just beginning to be suggested when she joined Met Aaron and she's added that it will now be this the singular focus into the future. She says we are going to see extremes in weather in Ireland. We may not be extreme as say other places but she did point out that there was 40 degree temperature in the UK last year and she said if we start getting regular 40 degrees in Ireland that will mean that Europe will be on fire. So she worries about the future from a climate change point of view. So on behalf of all of the listeners here on C103 who have been fans of Evelyn Cusack, we wish her nothing but love and luck on her retirement. 0818 103 103. Going to take a break. Get your pet questions into us, please. And don't forget, in the next hour, you're listening out for a track by Rod Stewart. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CM. I'll catch up on some of your texts and commentary coming into the programme. Now, earlier we had somebody on who had paid a visit to St Mary's Cemetery in Mill Street and wanted me to call out and publicly thank a gentleman by the name of Declan who had fixed the tap. She didn't have a surname or anything, uh, but she just wanted to publicly thank Declan. So I did. Well, lo and behold, somebody's come come on to tell me that the surname I'm looking for is Cotter. It's Declan Cotter was the man who fixed the tap in St Mary's Cemetery in Mill Street. 
But then this listener added some further information, says, while you're speaking about St. Mary's Cemetery in Mill Street, and the previous texter told us there's a mass on there tomorrow night at half past seven. This listener says it's a disgrace how badly kept the cemetery is. The grass has grown so high you could cut silage. And furthermore, no paths. It's a shame. And this listener says it's particularly maddening as the cost of a grave is over a thousand euro. I'm assuming that's the council's responsibility. We normally get a run on overgrown graveyards and then the council will say they're doing the best they can. They've limited outdoor staff. They normally have to get contractors in. So I'm assuming we're coming to the stage where they're getting around to as many of the cemeteries as possible. But if there is mass there tomorrow, um, you'd like to think that the grass would be cut in time for that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? 0818 103 103. Mary Lynn Rathcool wants me to mention what she describes as a beautiful book for anyone who's interested on the life of St. Gobnet. It is by a McCroom Ballyvorney man. Um, I don't know what the gentleman's name, but it was launched by Bishop William Crean. And of course, Gobnet travelled from Inishir through Kerry before coming to North Cork and on into Ballyvorney, where she built her church. Mary has read the book and said it's a lovely read for anyone who's got any interest with St. Gobnet and is available in all local bookshops. Glad to give that a mention for you, Mary. Hope you're doing well. 0818 103103. John in Ringeskiddy was on to say there is a massive cruise ship after arriving in Ringeskiddy. Now, John says, absolutely great to see these cruise ships uh, coming in. He's told there's over 6,000 passengers on board. Now, as soon as the cruise ship arrived, a load of buses arrived and, you know, they go off to visit various tourist spots around Cork. But then not everybody opts to go on the the buses. Many people decide to stay locally. If you've ever been on a cruise, that's what people do. You can go off on a day trip or you can just wander around the area where the ship has docked. So that's what John is ringing us about. He says he couldn't get over the number of people who were just walking around. He described them as lost sheep with nothing to do around Ring of Skitty. He said if they're going to bring in big cruise ships, then surely they have to have amenities in place in Ring of Skitty for those who opt that they don't want to go away on a bus on a day trip. They just want Want to stay uh, locally. More needs to be done about that. 0818 uh, 103 103. A different John was on to say, has anybody else noticed that if you're inside in supermarkets, the plastic partitions that were put in place between the teller and the customer, you know, the ones that went in during COVID time, that the majority of supermarkets now have removed them. But John has been speaking to some staff recently and the staff have noticed that the number of other workers who are out with things like chest and throat infections. So John is making the point that the staff he was talking to reckoned those petitions were helping to prevent infection. Not obviously they were helping with COVID, but they were helping to prevent other types of infection. John said, why not leave them in place? At least it would protect the workers who, of course, on a daily basis, if you're in a very busy supermarket, you will be dealing with hundreds of people every single day. And you don't know who has an infection and you don't know who doesn't. Now, there will be others who will say that they're glad that those petitions are gone. The one thing I found about with some of them where they literally had the teller surrounded and I fully understood why they were doing it during COVID times. If you're trying to have any kind of an interaction or any kind of a conversation, it's almost impossible to hear what people are saying. And particularly when we were all wearing masks, you could see people roaring at each other. And you certainly could see elderly people who might be struggling with their hearing a little bit 
So I think from that point of view, it's good that they're gone. But if, as John and some tellers who work in supermarket, as supermarket checkout operators are pointing out, is it now causing a rise in infections? If it is, maybe there's a reason for those barriers and partitions to remain in place. 0818 103 Earlier, I had a lovely chat with uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent who was telling the story of the Afghan interpreter. Sounds like a lovely man called Rocky who is for the last 18 months has been in hiding from the Taliban and uh, he knows what will happen if he's caught by the Taliban he more than likely will be executed not before he would be horrifically tortured uh, as well and he's desperately trying to get out of Afghanistan and he would love to come to Ireland and he's going to try and take what will be a really treacherous and dangerous journey to get out of Afghanistan and to get across the other countries he would have to uh, cross to get here to claim asylum and to try to get here safely that has led a texter to say Patricia the, the Brits, the, the the British and the Americans who invaded Afghanistan, they are the ones that should take this man in. The Sunday business poll, opinion poll, just last Sunday said 75% of people say we are already taking in too many refugees. Well, I think if you ask this man, Rocky, where would be his choice? I think his choice would be uh, America. But the fact that he now has a contact in Ireland, he's trying to get to Ireland. That's not to say once he got and he certainly would be entitled to uh, asylum based on the life he's leading at the moment. But that's not to say he'll stay. I mean, maybe his ultimate goal would be to go to um, America. Uh, but yes, I did see that Sunday business post uh, opinion poll. There are a lot of people feel and I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that we have a housing crisis in this country and asylum seekers that are even arriving. You know, we've we've ended up with how many of them sleeping on uh, the streets. But I did read today that the housing minister, Dara O'Brien, has now pledged there will be 400 beds available for refugees and uh, asylum seekers and they will be here through refurbishing units and he's hoping to have them in place by the end of the year. He said the beds will be provided across 61 units and as we speak they're being renovated or they're about to be renovated by the Department of Housing. However, when, when he was pushed to ask where are these 61 units the department is refusing to release the location of uh, the sites. Now, according to the Irish Daily Mail uh, today, they understand that that's for security fears because there will be potential targeting of the buildings if the location is made uh, public. A spokesperson for the Department of Housing said they've noted that many of these buildings are privately owned. They said it would be inappropriate to publish the details of the individual buildings at this stage, uh, but and he already they already say a number of refurbished properties are already in use, and of course the reason they're nervous is there has already been more than 120 anti-immigrant protests in Dublin in recent months, and as soon as some of these people who go out and protest get wind that a building has been identified as a possibility to house refugees or asylum seekers, straight away there will be protests. We also, of course, had that really shocking sights of the tents in the makeshift camp for the homeless asylum seekers with those set on fire in Sandwich Street uh, last month in uh, Dublin. And Dara O'Brien said there were issues with regards to leases and the length of the leases, but they've all been dealt with now. And he would expect that they're looking at between now and the end of the year, anywhere between two 3,000 
and 4,000 bed spaces through these 61 uh, properties. And of course, it was only last month that the Cabinet approved €20 million Euro in funding. And that was to, uh, in particular, to refurbish the you know, that stalled super prison, um, Thornton Hall, that never came to pass. Uh, they're going to try and refurbish that. And also the Central Mental Hospital in Dublin, they're going to put work into that uh, as possible uh, locations. And then the, there, uh, however, there are sites that are still being assessed by the accommodation working group to see if they will be uh, suitable. And they're being assessed by the Department of Housing, the Department of Integration and the Department of the Taoiseach. Now, it seems there's been a bit of banter going on between the departments as who's responsible, who's going to pay for the for the works. And, I, you know, each part, each department doesn't want it coming out of their budget. But see me, that has all been sorted out. And the government are saying they're now bracing to take between 30,000 and 60,000 more refugees between now and the end of the year. And obviously, based on those calculations, they're now scrambling to try to source the accommodation uh, because we have levels of homelessness for the broader population already last week hitting a new record high. There's now more than 12,000 Irish people who are deemed as homeless. These are people that are living in emergency accommodation, living in hotels and, and B&Bs and, and living in some of these housing uh, hubs. So we have that problem on one side and yet the government are saying it could be up to 60,000 more refugees are going to uh, arrive. Nearly double the amount of asylum seekers are being accommodated by the state this year. If you compare it to this time last year, the International Protection Accommodation Service uh, was housing 20,604 48 people and that was at the end of May or the 21st of May this year so last week but when you compare to that same date last year they were accommodating 11,000 so 11,000 has gone to almost 21,000 and then since January of last year 2022 the Department of Integration has opened 145 emergency centres but about 2,500 beds were lost during the same period that was hotels who they originally had procured during the pandemic, but they've decided to return to tourism. Now, so far this year, the Department of Integration said they've procured nearly 6,000 beds, and that's for asylum seekers. The department's challenge in securing and retaining accommodation for asylum seekers is demonstrated in the fact that over 1,000 people who arrived into this country and claimed asylum, were originally left homeless. They were the ones who were sleeping in those tents in uh, Dublin. And then eventually some of them and the majority of them were then offered accommodation. And of course, the Department of Integration has also approved accommodation for for Ukrainians, people fleeing the war. 61,000 of those have received uh, accommodation in the past 14 months. And if you're trying to equate that, what does 61,000 people? It would be the entire population of County uh, Carlo. So a lot of work has been done in getting accommodation for the people that need it. But they have an ongoing problem that they reckon more and more are going to arrive. And while all that is going on, we have Irish people, 12,000 now, a record number without a front door that they can put a key in and that they can call home. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now Mallow has entered into the Cork 
County Council's anti-litter campaign and they're asking people to please be aware that cigarette butts, huge source of liver, of litter around the town. If you're a smoker, please dispose of your butts responsible. Tied in with what we spoke about uh, earlier and Shan Valley Moors also entered in that competition. So they're asking the local community to please be mindful of your litter and give a hand wherever you can. Tickets are now on sale at Thornton's Pharmacy and Kildallery Community Office for the Kildallery National School Musical, which will be on the 15th to the 17th of June. Tickets are priced at €10. St. Coleman's National School in Cloyne, they're celebrating 50 years tomorrow. There will be a commemorative walk on the day from the old boys and girls school sites to the village, to the new school. Past pupils, teachers, everybody welcome to attend. The walk will start at 9.30 tomorrow morning with teas and coffees served uh, afterwards. And there'll be a coffee morning in Ballantotis Community Hall tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And that's in aid of four-year-old Elba Quinn, who is undergoing treatment in Crumlin for a rare type of brain tumour. And Mallow Grow Community Health are holding their annual street collection throughout Mallow Town tomorrow, Friday, 2nd of June. Your support will be much appreciated for ongoing information. You can visit grow.ie. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on c103. And we need your pet questions. Uh, please get those in 0818 103 103 or text or WhatsApp the pet questions to 086 103 103. And there's a text in, and I don't know the answer to it, but I might get John Paul to make a note of it and we'll put it to Paul Kavanagh when we're next doing our Insurance Matters uh, slot. This list said, um, I, I've just been given the option of being charged €50 Euro extra on my car insurance if I take a named driver off my policy. Surely it's less risky if there is only one driver. And hand on heart, I can never understand that. But I know I'm named on my husband's insurance and I have my own insurance on my car and he's named on a mine. And it the insurance policy premium always comes down. The fact that we have a na- we are a named driver on each other's cars and I can never understand it. And I remember my son, when he took out his first insurance policy, it was suggested to him to put a named driver on it. So I was named on his policy as well in order to reduce it. I don't understand it either. It, I agree with you. Does it not make sense if you just have one driver on the policy? There's only one person can get involved in having an accident where there's two people named. Are you doubling the chance? I don't know. Can't understand it. I'll make a note of it. And, and if I don't think of it, the next time Paul Cavanagh is on the programme, send in that text again to us. It'll be great because it is definitely worthy of uh, trying to uh, get, get to the bottom of it. And a lot of people, as soon as I mentioned, the asylum seekers and the government and Dara O'Brien saying between 4,000 and um, up to 4,000 beds will be pledged by the end of this year for asylum seekers. Uh, people saying, what about looking after our own? Uh, this government seems to be seem to be going backwards. A lot of people, you know, saying the very same thing. But remember that the beds that they provide for asylum seekers, you can't, you know, when you hear people say, oh, why didn't you put Irish people in there? They're often, they're in bunk beds that can be eight to a room. It literally is stack them high 
by with a lot of these bunk beds when they go into refurbished accommodation. Uh, it's not exactly that you could put a family uh, in there. 0818103103. And I was uh, an issue that we dealt with earlier on in the week was to do with the voluntary contributions in schools. And I was glad to see the Education Minister, uh, Norma Foley, coming out on this and has clearly said that no school should is allowed to compel parents or guardians into making a voluntary contribution to the school. Now, obviously, Norma Foley was responding to the report that we spoke about on the programme that was published by the Society of Vincent de Paul that indicated people were starting to feel under huge pressure to pay the charge. And 87% of people who responded to the VDP poll said they'd either cut back or they had delayed paying a bill in order that the money could be sent into the school. And I was reading through some of what St Vincent de Paul had to say in the report and some of the parents they spoke to, including a parent who said that the names of the children whose parents hadn't paid the voluntary contribution, their names were written up on the blackboard. I was just shocked uh, when I heard that. And at the end of the day, a voluntary contribution is a donation to the school. And I do accept and I'm not pointing the finger of blame at principals here because they have to it's to pay for costs that are incurred by the school and they don't always have enough to keep the front door uh, open. But in some schools, it can go into hundreds of euro. Now, I know I think the average is about 140 euro. The lowest, I think, Vincent de Paul found was 30 euro a year. But in some schools, it went up into, I think, 500 was the highest one uh, they discovered. Anyway, that report was presented to the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, and she said that she wanted to be explicitly clear that no fee can be charged for enrolment or continued enrolment in a school. She said, I want to acknowledge that voluntary contributions are just that. They're voluntary by their nature. They are a donation to the school. And she said, I really want to be very clear that no parent, no guardian should be compelled to make that contribution. She said it's simply not appropriate and it's not right. And then, you know, she went on to say that they are providing additional supports to school and she did the usual, you know, she gave out all the figures, the 220 million that is paid out in capitation. And in addition to that, there was an extra 90 million given to schools and that was specifically done for the energy costs, their high heating bills and electricity uh, bills. And she said, when you break that down, that represented 7.2% increase in capitation. But like she went on then to talk about, you know, they're rolling out other measures like the free school books um, and they're also doing initiatives like giving counselling in schools and she also spoke about the, you know, the free school transport. But like none of that pays for the electricity in a school and none of that pays for the insurance in a school. So that's not going to be cold comfort to the principal who's trying to balance uh, the books. But she did say, and I think this is something that all schools need to take on board, she did accept that some schools may be feeling pressurised in certain areas and may have particular difficulties and particular challenges uh, because she accepted that schools are doing great work every day. So she's come out to principals and schools and says, and the board of management and said, if there is an issue, she is saying to the schools to directly contact the Department of Education. She says there's a facility with the Department of Education. They have a dedicated unit and it is the Financial Support Services Unit. And she said they will work on a one-to-one basis with any school if they have a specific challenge 
in terms of funding for that school. She says there could be no compelling of parents or guardians to make a contribution to the running of the school. Absolutely none. So I would say to any parents who are really struggling and if you go to the school and you feel that the school are saying, look, you have to pay this money. We need it. You know, we, we don't have enough to pay X, Y and Z. Then say to the schools that the minister has said there is a section in the Department of Education that would help schools. And I'm really hoping that principals pick up on that message that was issued and board of managements pick up on that direct message from the Minister for Education. And if needs be, flood that department with calls and emails saying that they are in financial difficulty. And maybe if enough schools come forward and say, we can't do it on the current capitation grant and we can't do it even with the extra you're giving us for the energy costs, maybe then the department will be forced to look at the capitation grant and maybe schools ultimately will get enough money that they will be able to completely end voluntary contributions for all. And that certainly would be a happy day for all parents. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just on that issue of putting a named driver onto your car insurance and how it's cheaper, Dennis in uh, Oxford, who listens to us online, says adding a named driver often makes the premiums cheaper. Uh, This is because since the car is shared, it's assumed you spend less time driving. This reduces the probability of you having an accident and making a claim. And that, therefore, is reflected in cheaper car insurance. Thank you for that, Dennis, a man in the know. 0818103103. Pet questions, please, coming into us because Jane Pickett from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry Veterinary Group, joins me on this gorgeous uh, summer's day. Uh, good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And let's stay with the fine weather because somebody is saying, a a listener in the city says, uh, Patricia, would you and Jane please remind listeners to put out fresh bowls of water for the birds every day during the hot weather? That's an important thing to do, isn't it? Mm, Absolutely. I think particularly if there's any periods of drought and although we may not be quite heading there yet, you know, water is in short supply Um, and those little little wildlife, they'll be looking for little ponds, I suppose, if we live in quite a rural area, but particularly in urban areas where there may not be a lot of free water, but there still may be wildlife adding a little safe bowl of water um, that's nice and clean and perhaps up high out of out of reach of cats or or other predators would be a really helpful thing to help these little guys out in the hot weather. Okay, Aaron in Clonakilty has been on and this kind of ties in with with the warm weather. A 14-year-old Labrador in really good health uh, but is finding it hard to breathe in the heat. We keep him in the shade or in the kitchen as the tiles are cool and the sun doesn't hit the kitchen until later in the day. Should we be worried or is it just the heat? He's on a good uh, diet. She describes him as being a heavy dog, more than likely slightly overweight but seems to be panting uh, a lot and out of breath. Yeah, so certainly in these spells of hot weather, we do see our older dogs and cats begin to struggle a little bit more when they may not do normally in our normal kind of climate here in Ireland where it's quite moderate. Certainly things like being overweight or having a very heavy hair coat can help to make them feel unwell as well because they have some extra insulation essentially. So that's a little bit of uh, extra heat retention they have going on so they'll find it harder than their slimmer or less furry counterparts what i will say is that i suppose the basic advice in this situation sounds like you know this owner's doing a good job keeping that pet inside in the shade to help them out as much as possible 
And that's what we'd recommend. So only short periods outside, ideally not in the hottest three hours of the day from midday to three o'clock. And, you know, they really need to be supervised at all times and make sure they have access to water and access to shade and keep a really close eye. What I would always say in a situation is that, you know, every dog's tolerance for this is a little bit different. And if we have an older dog that may be a little bit overweight, their ability to get rid of heat is, is not going to be great compared to their younger, slimmer counterparts. I would say if you're in any concern about your pet's breathing, it's really worth ringing your vet and getting them booked in for a checkup. Although it's tempting in the hotter weather to blame a lot of things on it, and certainly not the common things are common. We're hot, so we pant a little bit more. It can cause problems like heat stroke. So if they overheat and that, as I say, can vary from dog to dog, the amount of exposure they'll need, they will begin to struggle with their breathing as they're really overheated. But also it's really important to think that it may just be a coincidence. So we have an older dog who thankfully sounds like they've been otherwise really healthy, but struggling to breathe, whether it's hot or cold weather, is a big red flag that it is really worth in this case checking in with your vet, getting your pet seen to, to make sure that it is just the hot weather and that there's not something else going on, be it with the heart or the lungs that might, I suppose, should we wait until the hot weather blows over? we might miss out on a chance to be able to help them out. So I think in this situation, I'd advise that little pet is seen by the vet just for safety's sake to put everybody's mind at ease and then just make sure as long as there's nothing else going on, we try and keep them nice and cool as you are doing. Because I remember last year we had a, a very distressed uh, caller to the programme during that that heat wave that we had, mm. that amazing week where it went over 25 degrees for the five days and it was deemed a uh, heat wave. And they thought they were doing everything right. They had a young dog and they came home to find the dog had died from heat stroke. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can kill. It absolutely can. And it is devastating. I think the thing is, you really, you need to attack managing their heat control from all angles. So manage their environment, make sure they only have a very short period outside and they're supervised. Make sure they have access to shade. Fresh, cold water is really helpful. I really think even in certain light coloured dogs, for example, and in cats that have kind of like low pigmented skin, it's really important to think about sun cream in those guys as well. So pet safe sun cream is, is a really important thing. If you have a very light skinned pet that doesn't have a lot of hair cover or a cat with white ears, because that can cause a lot of burning problems as well. Really, what I'd say is you just need to be vigilant. I think the biggest killer in the case of heat stroke tends to not be dogs being left in ambient temperatures but it tends to be when they're left in something like a conservatory or next to a window with no shade, no cool area. And I suppose the biggest one of all, hot cars. So the temperature within a car can, in in this weather, get up to absolutely scary, scary temperatures, even within five minutes. So if you're thinking about leaving your pet while you just pop into the shop or pop to the coffee shop to get a takeaway coffee, even that period of time is super dangerous. So please, please, please don't risk it. Make sure they're never left unattended in a hot car. OK, a 12-year-old Jack Russell who's developed some kind of a niche just under his front legs, almost in the armpits, scratching so much to the point of bleeding. It happened last summer again. Uh, could it be some kind of an allergy? And if so, what would the treatment be? Yeah, it could be an allergy, I suppose. So a lot of um, allergies are to things in the environment. Sometimes we know exactly what they are. If they happen like clockwork and we know what they've been exposed to recently. But sometimes they can just be seasonal and it can be a little bit difficult to work out, particularly ones around this time of year where we have all of the pollens kind of coming out at once. 
if it happened this time last year and like clockwork it's happened again it could well be an allergy I'd say it's definitely worth speaking to your vet. There's lots of things that we can do to help pets out with allergies, minimize their itching and inflammation over those periods. It might just be that your your pet needs the help of a medication to get them through. What I will say, though, is if it's in the, the area, kind of in the armpits and over the front, they are the hot and sweaty areas. So it may just be worth considering that, well, it might not be an allergy. Is it because everything's a bit hot and sticky at the moment? And I think the important thing is we all have normal bacteria and yeast growing on our skin. And in normal times, everything kind of regulates itself, keeps itself at a normal level. But if suddenly we've got a burst of hot weather, we've got a hot and sticky dog. Well, hot and sticky conditions are like the party zone for bacteria and yeast. They love to grow and they love to set up skin infestations and infections. And they can be really hot and red and uncomfortable and itchy so it is worth bearing in mind that it might not be an allergy it might be something else and that equally would need treatment with either topical washes that would be kind of medicated from your vet or maybe even medications directed at the problem itself the important thing in this situation is knowing the difference just from seeing how your pet is at home is virtually impossible what your vet will need to do is probably some testing on the skin to look at what's under the microscope. Well, is there any indication of infection or a yeast overgrowth that they need to treat? And then when that's excluded, they'll be able to discuss with you, well, is it an allergy? So it's one of those ones I wouldn't chance it and try and guess. This really needs the help of a vet who can do a little bit of work upon your pet skin. Because there's nothing worse than than an itch when you've got an itch yourself. Mm, it, it would drive you absolutely. cuckoo. Annette in Crosshaven, a three-year-old cat, started to sneeze and one left eye weeping. It's only happened the last week or so. Any chance it could be hay fever? She wonders, do cats get hay fever or could it be something else? They can do in the sense that we can all kind of have I suppose, allergies to things in the environment, like like we were speaking with with the last case there. However, it is quite uncommon that it would manifest in that way with kind of a gunky eye and a runny nose. What's far more common to manifest in a cat with a gunky eye and a runny nose is cat flu. So there's a number of different viruses and bacteria that all kind of sit under the umbrella of cat flu. Now, it could just be that it's unlucky and it's ran into one of those and now it's got the signs. Now, in a lot of cases, those things will blow over when the, the cat's immune system will kick in. And like ourselves, if we get a cold or a flu, eventually will improve. But what I will say, though, is if it's lingering or if your pet seems in any way unwell in themselves otherwise, so if they're not quite themselves, a bit more lethargic, if they're you know, not really into eating their dinner as much as they would, or if you feel they're in any way struggling to breathe, you really need to visit your vet sooner rather than later because I suppose with cats, some some may have a really good immune system, but others may not. They may need the help of medications to help them clear that. So it's just important to err on the safe side. OK, and Damien uh, from Mallow, his dog Ollie is a mixed Jack Russell, a senior dog, 13 years of, of age, very obedient, always been an indoor dog, toilet trained uh, very quickly. Well, recently he started peeing inside. Is it something to worry about or is it just a bit of old age setting in or is it an act to get more attention? Damien is wondering. Mm. So I suppose I think unlikely to be an act to get more attention. Usually dogs don't like soiling their kind of, I suppose, their den, which is essentially your house. So they're usually quite protective of that. So they normally won't pee inside if they have previously been trained to do their business outside, unless they're either caught short, struggling with their mobility or a bit of kind of old age and senility has kicked in. So if it's just old age and forgetfulness, 
and that may be something moving forward we just kind of have to manage maybe using some puppy pads and things like that just to mop up the mess if it is that they've been caught short that could be for a number of reasons whether it be a, a kidney or a bladder infection that's giving them an increased urgency to pee so they're they're getting caught short before they can go out so that would really need a checkup by your vet maybe a urine sample screen for that or really common in these older guys is if their mobility is not brilliant sometimes they'll be trying to get up to go out and they'll almost be avoiding it because they don't want to move because they're a bit uncomfortable and by uh, the time they really need to go they're caught short so get your vet to check on your pet's mobility and comfort too Alright, okay, listen, good advice as always have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Thursday You too, thank Thanks you Thanks for that, that is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary Group and just to let you know we've had a number of calls in this morning from some of our listeners in the Charleville area uh, to say that people driving dri- who are driving through the main street in Charleville noticed some windows were broken on the main street. We contacted the Gardaí and they've confirmed they're investigating an incident of criminal damage several shopfront properties on main street had the windows broken. A man in his 30s was arrested at the scene and was taken to a Garda station in the Cork area. And if you're out and about driving in West Cork, Billy and Clonakilty has been on to say the road is closed between Ross Garbury and Lepp due to a collision at Barley Hill. Diversions are in place. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. He'll be playing a couple of Rod Stewart tracks, so keep a listen out for that. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for Friday's edition of the programme. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.